0: Good evening Blue Jays fans and welcome to another episode of the Blue Jays Bites podcast. I'm Bryant Ott from whiteandbluereview.com. Joining me tonight, Matt Morenas. I'd say it's a good night, Matt, but let's be honest, that'd be a lie. We are recording this podcast immediately following the 71-51 bludgeoning of the Blue Jays men's basketball team by the Georgetown Hoyas out in DC. Matt, just a really, really fun night so far as a Jays fan.
1: I feel like all of my Georgetown jokes, like, came home to roost tonight.
0: They I really did. You know, that,
1: that sometimes you're the hammer, sometimes you're the nail type of deal. Because so.
0: mm-hmm. you were high on the Hoyas coming into the season. They ended yeah. tonight at 10-10, and 1-6 10, in the Big East. And from the get-go, it was very evident that the Blue Jays um, just didn't have, well... Not even their a, B, or C game tonight all all facets, as you mentioned on twitter, really difficult to find um one area of the game where the Blue Jays excelled other than maybe Justin Patton being defended one on one by georgetown uh postmen
1: yeah, I guess that is the positive, right uh yeah, it, Justin was, you know, he was really, he was the guy that, you know, had it offensively tonight, he was efficient, um, he was really good, he showed off the his aura, his repertoire of moves down and low, and, you know, even showed off that that uh, one NBA level play per game he seems to produce with that, catching that high-low lob with one hand, almost at the, maybe three, three quarters the way up the backboard and throwing it down, so... Yeah, he was the bright spot. The rest of it from an effort standpoint, from an execution standpoint. From an execution standpoint. Um defensively, offensively, they're just it was not it was not Creighton's night.
0: That's an understatement. The Blue Jays connect on just one of their eighteen three point attempts. Um so the good news is that they made that one and Rob Anderson continues to now be able to Posting his game notes, the ungodly streak of, like, whatever it is, 900 and some games of making it a three-pointer. But really, staring back at me from the box score is that 5.6% from three-point range. Jays go just 56% from the free-throw line, 34.5% from the field. Saturday, against the Marquette Golden Eagles, who now have beaten the Blue Jays and Villanova in consecutive games, Mm Creighton put up 94 points. Offense looked okay in their first full game back without Maurice Watson Jr. Not great, but okay, right? Davion Mintz steps in, comes in off the bench, uh, shows pretty well at the point guard spot. Isaiah Zierd makes all of his shots from the field in that game as well, the starting point guard in that game. Um, The Blue Jays defensively, however, a big-time letdown, giving up the century mark-plus in that game, and, and tonight the offense didn't didn't perform, and the defense just wasn't that good. What's it? And the defensive
1: one was really surprising, too, because they spent a lot of time this week in practice, uh, you know, going over the ball screen communication, because obviously Georgetown sends you through a lot of actions. So communication was going to be paramount for a win tonight. And it just, you know, from the get-go, they were just a little flat. I mean, LJP can... Rodney Pryor really got going early and never really slowed down. I mean, I mean, Peak ends up with 20 on eight of 15, goes two of five from three. Um, Pryor drops 18 on seven of 15, three of five from three. I mean, they both combined for 11 assists, only three turnovers. I mean, that's uh, you know, that's how Georgetown wins games with those two getting going. So there just really was, the, and they did from the start. There was really no. No resistance on Creighton's end of the floor, and um, you know, in the days leading up to the game, that was high priority. in practice was dealing with those with those guys, with those two guys in isolation situations and ball screen situations, and they just did not execute that at all. Once, once after opening tip.
0: So, you go to practice, you see these guys in and out every day. They work so hard at something in practice for so many days in a row, and then the game comes around and it just doesn't work, right? It doesn't come to fruition the way we want it the way they want it to. What's the sense that you get for how the team reacts to that, individually or as a collective unit, the coaching staff, whatever? Kind of put us in the shoes there of, of what now they'll be reacting to and talking about with this one.
1: Yeah, I'm not really sure how much they're going to react to this one because they don't really have much time to get – much time to talk about it before they have to get ready for the next game, you know, because DePaul's coming in on Saturday, so they're going to fly home from D.C. tonight. They're going to practice tomorrow, and then again on Friday, and then they're going to tip it up Saturday afternoon, you know, so there's not, I don't think they're going to, I don't know if they'll talk about Georgetown much at all, other than maybe they'll dissect some game film, and then move on to DePaul, really, so I think I think the way they reacted tonight was you know, on the first couple breakdowns, or Prior to peak made a play in one on one situations, those were deflating moments. And then Creighton's offense obviously hit that hit that lull midway after the kind of the midway point of the first half. They had a few good possessions to start the game, and then they really, really hit a slump. I think they hit like one out of their next fifteen shots or something like that. I can't remember um, how they're just run
0: incredibly is. cold. I mean, yeah. good shots. I mean, a lot of these threes that they had were were wide open looks. I mean, good, good action and just not able to connect on anything. Mm -hmm.
1: So it's kind of all around deflating. I mean, that's why, I mean, they weren't hitting shots and they weren't, and Georgetown was, and they weren't, none of their game plans were being executed. And they really prepared a lot for, like I said, the ball screens, they prepared a lot for Georgetown to, you know, throw some full court press at them and, or some three quarter court press and, you know, see if they can rattle some of these you know, like Isaiah Zardin playing point guard when he's naturally a shooting guard, and Davion Miss being a freshman. And you know, I I think I was surprised that Georgetown didn't pressure more. Um not, I hate to think about how ugly the game could have <laughs> gotten. I did. But, right. uh, Georgetown pretty much was just one. I mean, once they got kind of control of the game offensively and got into a good rhythm there, they kind of just sat back and decided to get back in transition and make sure the Jays couldn't put any runs together. They really kind of made sure the, the possessions in the game were limited. I, mean, I don't want to say they sat on the lead because they executed pretty well, but they really did kind of sit on the lead in the second half and you know, just make sure they go possession by possession and not let Creighton have too many opportunities to get back in the game.
0: Yeah, I mean, they, they seem to really start to take the air out there around the 7-8 minute mark. And um, like you said, they were able to execute that a couple things right at the end of the shot clocks that went down some threes. Um, also deflating for the Jays. I mean, Creighton cut it to what I think it was 13 or maybe even 12 at some point there during that run, but then Georgetown scored on two straight possessions, and the Blue Jays turned it over or missed on those ensuing other two possessions for them, and just like that, it was back up to 18, and never really got close again, but, um, you know, from, from where you sit, and I know you're being objective, but what does this team need to do now to change things up i mean they obviously gutted out the the win at xavier and then now lost two games where they trailed by what like the maximums they collectively were down 40 points in the second halves of these two games yeah um i mean what do they need to do here it's not well, working
1: well i mean the, and correct me if i'm wrong but in the xavier game it seemed like they kind of changed a little bit stylistically, you know, they kind of tried to, li- to limit the possessions in the second half and, you know, just make sure they can execute offensively, generate good shots with the ball movement in the half court and make sure they didn't let, you know, make sure they tried to limit Xavier's second chance opportunities. And, you know, again, one of those things, they were trying to play a possession game. Now these last two times, I don't think they've tried to limit possession. I think that they've tried to be who they are, who they were before, Maurice Watson when got hurt, and I don't know if that's necessarily what they have um, stylistically. I mean, Justin obviously runs the floor pretty well, and you know Kyrie and Marcus can score in transition, but you know most of the time what we see happening, you know, and, and granted it is a small sample size, so you know there's still opportunity, I guess, to experiment. But I mean, Georgetown was pretty much sending two or three guys back to the rim tonight, and then everything Creighton was trying to do was going straight to the rim and it was just nothing but contested shots there. I mean, I guess maybe they could have got to the free throw line a few more times maybe if the if, you know, if they get a couple calls here or there, but you know, you can't live or die, you know, hoping to go to the free. I mean, what? They went to the free throw line 50 times against Georgetown. That's not realistic. Right. You can't, you know. You can't dictate offense based on that. You kind of have to you know, have some kind of style. So, I think uh, maybe slowing the game down, maybe trying to limit possessions, maybe playing through Justin Patton in the half court. Cause, I mean, good things happen when that guy touches the ball. I mean, he's got so many moves down low. You know, he can he can score going to right, going left. You know, he can he can you know his up up and under moves bother the physical guys. Um, he's really good in pick and rolls, and I mean, even if even if and he might be the best passer. Yeah, on the he might be the best passer on the. On, I mean, certainly in the starting unit, and maybe maybe on the team with Watson out now. So I mean, is playing through him necessarily a bad thing? With the I mean, you can see over the defense, you know, is slowing things down, and maybe just you know getting making sure he gets touches, and you know, if teams send double teams at him, he is more than capable of passing out of them and making plays out of them. So I don't know if maybe that's necessarily a something they can do to. You know, adjust the offensive attack a little bit, but I'm not really sure if they are necessarily suited for trying to make a point of upping the tempo and playing with a high pace. You know what I mean? You look for it maybe in situations like if you get a deflection or a rebound and Patton's got to run out, you know, by all means, just heave that thing down there and anywhere in the in his vicinity, he'll catch it and put it in but I'm not necessarily sure you want to force that issue anymore. I think maybe, you know, like they played through Jeff and played the little two-man game with Milliken and Grizel like a couple years ago. Maybe that's more of what they should do because they can still space the floor, and that might even help Marcus and Kyrie get their three-point shots back. And, you know, if they're just kind of moving around and cutting and, you know, spacing the floor and then the ball is going through Patton and he's making plays and decisions out of that as opposed to Kyrie and Marcus grabbing the ball and trying to play downhill, you know, and those guys get to the rim and they just think, shoot, so. Yeah,
0: because, I mean, we saw tonight what going downhill looks like when you've got, you know, a, a venerable, at least size-wise and athleticism-wise, uh, front line for the Hoyas. I mean, almost, yeah. if not every, almost every shot that Marcus, um And Kyrie took going to the rim was highly contested. Not just like one-on-one stuff, right? No, it was like one or two. It was like
1: two or three guys, yeah. Yeah.
0: And it didn't fare well. That's four
1: hands you're going up against. I mean, you know, to borrow volleyball terms, you don't want to, you know, you try to want to, what a setter's job is designed to do is to find the hole in the block, right? So you try to find where, you know, where the hitters are not in front of four hands so they can play, you know, they can find a single block and put a ball down. Well, Creighton was going into four hands all night tonight. You know, Marcus and Kyrie are driving downhill trying to get to the rim, which is good. You like to see the aggression, I guess. But if you're pretty much just closing your eyes and hoping for the best at that point, you know, unless you do get a foul call, you're not really going to get a high-percentage shot. And, I mean, what, they end up with 16 points between them on 24 shots, and then they had five assists and five turnovers. So they weren't really making any plays for anybody else, or certainly not as many as they were – Giving back to Georgetown, and then you know how many of those, how many of those shots that they put up just end up in easy possessions for Georgetown because they could pretty much have five guys staring at the other basket and they can get their offense going pretty quickly off of that. So, yeah, it just, it just wasn't very efficient basketball from, from Creighton's attacking players tonight. You know the best parts of it were when Justin was getting the ball in the low post and doing work that way.
0: I mean, he was so good tonight that one of the moves he made. You and I were talking off air about it. The referee called to travel. It clearly was not. I mean, it was just a wonderful step through pivot that I don't know. I've seen a guy make a play like that before in a game that I've been watching live. I mean, you watch a ton of NBA stuff and I don't. So you've probably seen that from some really polished vets. But that move to me was like. Oh, yeah, he must have traveled because there's no way a kid that age can make that move. And then I watched it twice on replay. I'm like, wow, that was not travel at all. That was just a ridiculous pivot post move by Justin Patton.
1: Yeah, he splits a double team from, I think, maybe, I don't want to say free throw line extended, but he was a couple, two steps inside of the free throw line. Yeah, Splits a double team with a drop step and then reaches the rim with his arm. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of ground for one step to cover. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. all it was. was one, It was one little drop step pivot, and he was at the rim. And it, His hand was at the rim. And, and it caught he was,
0: he was, everybody off guard, including the guy that blew the whistle. I mean, right. just fantastic. He
1: blew it late, too. The ball went in, and he was like, wait a minute, that that's not humanly possible. That has to have been a trap.
0: So, <laughs> right. You
1: know, which, you know, I guess. So... But, yeah, he's... I, I, He's the guy I think they got to play through. He's clearly the most talented offensive player. Passing, scoring, I mean, he's got... I, I think at least, if you're still in experiment, experimentation mode, why not, right?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I think... So, I mean, the, you're
1: not saying no to anything at this point right now, right? And then it obviously looks like the transition game is not the same.
0: But I guess so that's my question, Matt. That
1: that the transition game is leaning out the window, almost. You're leaning towards that maybe not being the most ideal system to run anymore right because it's not it hasn't been effective for what two and a half games now so maybe the and and if you're going to play through in the half court you want to play through your most efficient players right well right now justin is their most efficient offensive player so
0: but my question is then how difficult is it to scrap that mindset 20 games into a season right i mean you've had 20 games plus all of the the preseason work, all of the off-season stuff, the the foundation that you laid for this last season with Maurice and even the year before when he was red-shirting. Um, I mean, how how much should we, as people watching the program, fans, et cetera, how much should we trust or uh, get our hopes up, I guess, maybe that kind of different changes will be made I mean is it realistic to do at this point
1: yeah I mean I think you have to because otherwise well I mean what if you keep doing the same thing over and over again and get the same result what's that what is that you know that's the definition of insanity right yeah so if they keep doing if they keep trying to be who they were with Maurice Watson Jr. and it's not working and you're losing games as a result of it why would you keep trying that
0: I don't know good question. I mean, I know,
1: yeah, I, I mean that's –
0: I'm glad I, I asked.
1: Talked, I know you talked a couple of weeks ago about, you know, you do, it doesn't matter. You want them to get up and down just because that's the style of basketball you like to play from – or you like to watch, right? Yeah. Well, I'm sure you'd rather watch some wins, wouldn't you? 100%. Yeah. yeah so if – if, 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 now this is extreme. They're not going to go northern Iowa or southern Illinois. But, I mean, if they start playing – if they start shooting for possession for a 65-possession game instead of a 75-possession game – but it gives them a better chance to win. You're not going to argue with that. If that's just, if that's what your roster has given you, it's not like it's a recruiting thing. It's not like, no, it's not like the coaching staff has searched for this up and down style of athlete. And then they recruited towards it. And then they're just not developing it. This is injuries dictating something that and a dramatic one, a big time injury, You have to – I mean, I think a style change has to be on the table at least. You know, it has to be part of your experimenting if you're going to do that because there is no other Maurice Watson Jr. in this entire country. Yeah. Just the league, not just the state of Nebraska, not just Creighton. No one played as fast as he did. No one. I've watched every team there is this year. I've seen them all. No one plays that. No one plays at that pace. No one can move as quickly as he moves with the ball in his hands going downhill – in control and make the amount of reads he's able to make, he's able to make, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have one predetermined thing in his mind when he's moving, you know, he sees the game, like no one sees it. And I, I'm not, and that's maybe, maybe that sounds like hyperbole. It's, it's just, it just isn't he, he, you know, Zach Hanson talked about it tonight in the postgame show. No one, no one on the team right now makes the, can make the amount of reads that Maurice could It's just, it's not there. So, when when you got a guy in the when you have the ball in the guy's hands who can who can within the same space that everybody's occupying find two or three options and choose one that's the highest percentage to get points and you no longer have that anymore, you have to change something because you can't just say, Okay, Isaiah your natural shooting guard all your life to post two knee surgeries and a shoulder surgery, go be Maurice Watson Junior go make the reads, go get downhill off the pick and roll, go throw lobs to Justin Patton, go make the defense play you honest. And, you know, I mean, it's just not, that's not going to happen. So there's got to be some kind of adjustment, I think. That's just, I mean, you know, maybe that's too harsh on the guys that are left, you know, to say that they, oh yeah, you guys can't play that way anymore. But I mean, we, we have, as small as the sample size is, we have a sample size and it hasn't been, it hasn't led to efficient basketball in the from an up-tempo standpoint. So, you know, you have your NBA lottery pick in Justin Patton. Ride your horses. Get him the ball. Let him make some plays. Yeah. He's Sweet. still efficient. You know, he's been efficient. He's 9 for 13 tonight. He's the only efficient guy on the floor. You know, and he had – we'll even see how many assists he had. But he had one assist. That's as many as – that's as many as
0: – Davion, I think.
1: That's as ma- yeah, that's as many as – so Davion and Mintz and Isaiah Zierden played a combined 44 minutes tonight, all right? And where's Tyler? And Tyler's at 11 minutes. So Davion, Tyler, and Z played 55 minutes, and those are the three-point guards, quote-unquote, left on the roster, right? Yep. So in 55 minutes, they had two assists between three of them. And then Justin had one. So what do you really even – you know, if you play through, if you play through Pat, and what are you even sacrificing statistically? Right? Yeah. It's not, like totally, you're saying, it's not, it's not like you're saying, Dave I don't know you had ten assists tonight, but we're gonna try something else. Yeah. You know, that's just sure. a, it's not. I mean, you got to try something if, if things
0: aren't working. But like, I know this,
1: and the, I know this coaching staff does that. I mean, Mac's not a square peg, round hole type of guy. Oh no, he it
0: doesn't is, seem like he ever has been. Really? You know? I mean, you can argue with some of the stuff. You know development wise and, and short bench or versus long bench and some of that stuff. But um, every single season he's seemed to adjust to the, the players he has <clears throat> in place. It's just with such a drastic change, perhaps needing to take place logistically speaking, like you said, they have to turn the page, right? Cause they've got to Paul come in in a couple of days. Like, realistically, logistically, how does that work? I mean, you can only put in so many hours in the gym, right? And you can only yeah. sit over a laptop for so long or have so much video to go through over and over and over again. I mean, what's this gonna look like for them? Explain what that's gonna seem like for the next couple of days in the building. Well I
1: don't I mean if they if they I mean if they try to slow things down like I'm suggesting, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I mean I mean I guess it involves a lot of I guess it involves a lot of low post post post-ups for Justin Patton. Maybe some high lows with Cole Huff because that was when they got the one lob. It wasn't Huff throwing the ball. I mean, I know he was a little off on the pass, but I mean, Justin went up and got it. You know, the guy's capable of getting up higher than most guys are. Um, You know, some high low with Justin and, you know, in a a stretch four like Toby or Cole. Uh, You know, Zach's back into the fold now, so you have another back to the basket five. You know, you're not throwing Martine in there and hoping for the best anymore. I mean, Zach only had five minutes tonight, but he's looked great in practice. I mean, he's been manhandling Martine in practice. He looks back to normal. I'm, you know, they're going to kind of, you know, gradually get him back into the mix once his conditioning and his rhythm gets, you know, up to par again. But Yeah, I thought the touches um, that
0: he had early when he got in the game tonight, I thought he looked pretty good, pretty solid, pretty confident. I mean, you could tell the conditioning wasn't quite there. and um he was kind of off balance on a couple of his rebound attempts especially in the mm-hmm. offensive glass but no I thought and it's uh I think that that's an option right you kind of go back to like you were talking about earlier with Jeffrey Grizzell and when they had Zach in there as well and and some of those options there with the inside outside stuff but
1: yeah I guess I mean Jeff wasn't that great at running the floor with all of his you know all the ankle issues he dealt with to get you know, to overcome, to become a, you know, a, a contributor and a big time, you know, one of the main options offensively over his last two years. So I say just, you know, slow the game down. Let's let's take a couple possessions off this thing. You know, try to, you know, you can still hone in defensively on your game plans.
0: Yeah,
1: Game plan wise, I thought they prepared like they should have prepared tonight. They just didn't execute it. And, you know, credit to Peek and Pryor for, you know, having great games like they did to lead their team. But, I mean, so defensively, I don't know if you change a whole lot because with Zach back, that's the communicator that they miss without Maurice. I mean, Zach is the loudest communicator defensively Hmm. that the team has. It's not even close. So, you know, with him back on the floor, you you have your, you know, you have a big who can communicate through ball screens and who can, you know, tell people where they're supposed to be and, you know, call out the, you know, the black and the brown and, you know, the various ball screen calls. And uh, and then just play through those guys, I think, because, you know, at at this point, I think they're your most efficient offensive players. I mean, I know I've said that a lot tonight. So, you know, but I think with Justin's ability to – I think with Justin's passing ability, you know, he's a really dangerous weapon if he gets the ball in the low block because you really have to decide if you want to send help and leave a shooter open, which – Creighton is still capable of doing, especially if they're in rhythm, you know, not these whole, you know, one, two, three crossovers, size a guy up and fade away and hope for the best. Like in rhythm, when you're in rhythm in the floor of space and the ball is in the best player's hands in Patton, and a defense has to decide quickly if they want to double him and make him get rid of it to one of those shooters and then chase and rotate, or if they want to let him play one on one, which Georgetown. Tonight had no answer for him one on one. He be scored on him every single time, almost in one on one situations. So you really have to make a decision. So at least if you do that, you're making the opposing defense have to think, and you're not the one thinking, right? You're just the one. Well, so and that's when Creighton's at their best when they're just playing basketball. So whatever style you need to do to get back to that, yeah, start implementing that
0: one. So I know you're not a huge bracketology guy, right? There's plenty of other people out there that spout conjecture about where teams will land and what teams... If that's going out the window, though,
1: because the NCAA yeah. is going to lose the top 16 seeds it's in what, cut 11, So the bracketology guys are going out of business soon because we'll have the answers.
0: Exactly. Um, and obviously yeah, after tonight, we're not going to see the Jays in those top 16 um, next week. God love them, but... I'm looking. I'm looking at Georgetown's schedule right now, and I'm seeing they have two opportunities to beat Villanova. I see they have Marquette still coming up. They got another one against the Jays. They got Seton Hall twice, and they've got Butler once. So, obviously, Georgetown coming in tonight at one and six, not exactly meeting the expectations that the Matt DeMarin has had for them, and I'm sure that a lot of the Hoyas uh, followers and fans did as well. But, I mean what does it look like for them to make a push for being the top six of this league? Is that realistic? You think just the way things shake out for them schedule wise, or is this just kind of a anomaly in that they're still just struggling as much as two and six in the league would make it seem?
1: Well, no, because if they do what I think George what Georgetown has done all year, I mean, they've had, they've beaten Oregon and then gotten whipped by Wisconsin. They've beaten, I don't know. I mean, they killed St. John's and got hit by Providence. I mean, I think they have. They usually go one good one and then one awful one. So they're probably going to get smoked by Butler, (laughs) right? At Hinkle.
0: (laughs) At Hinkle. So yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Based on who they've been this year, no. Uh, And I'm trying to think. You know, as far as the top six goes, um, you know, obviously Villanova, Butler, Xavier, Creighton are the top four right now. Marquette is certainly five. So then Georgetown is battling with. Uh, what? Seton Hall, Providence, St. John's. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, not the Paul. The probably. The probably can beat them, but sure. DePaul Paul. Paul would be clearly the worst team in the league right now, right? So, right. Although you know, I will say that, and then Saturday might change my theory on that. So who knows?
0: Gosh, I hope not. <laughs> I'm looking <laughs> well, at. Yeah. I'm looking at. I don't t- think they're in the top six right I'm now. I'm looking at tickets right now at the Verizon Center. Uh available through a third party vendor for the home game against DePaul on February twenty second. You can uh, go for four dollars if you want to go to that game. If you're nice. a Georgetown fan. Four nice. bucks. And Marquette, too, in a couple weeks. So you
1: know you know what's the funny thing about this? And that's this is like kind of a little nod to Creighton fans and really how dedicated they are as far as you know, buying tickets, showing up to games and whatnot. I think I saw a tweet. I I did see a tweet last night. I don't think I saw a tweet. I saw a tweet last night, but I think it was maybe three hours, maybe before or two hours before tip off. Mm-hmm. That said, there were thirty two hundred tickets still available last night for Marquette Villanova.
0: Gosh, isn't that nuts?
1: That's insane. And I and I was kind of joking with Rob um, via text message. I was Rob like, Anderson, Anderson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, Do you guys even have thirty two hundred tickets left for the rest of the season? You know, all games. Home games remaining, and you know, for Marquette to have that many left for the number one team in the country after you just beat a top ten team, yeah, that's you know, I kind of, I mean, I know Milwaukee's got, well, they don't have the Packers anymore because they got trounced, um, but I mean, oh, they've got Pro, they've got the Bucks or whatever, what kind of seat they are, I don't know, but I mean, they've got, they got, I guess Milwaukee is a, you know, has more no, man, it's do same size. Will. It's the
0: same size building. You know, D.C., yes. Milwaukee, Omaha, they're all playing in, in uh, NBA venues, but we're the only one that fills it like an NBA team. You know,
1: I know. isn't that wild though? 3,200 still. Yeah. For Marquetteville and over. The number one team in the country.
0: Well, if Saturday doesn't go well for the Blue Jays, Matt, um, there's going to be about 3,200 people or more that are going to be wishing that they might have stayed home. So I'm just, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to doomsday scenario this a little bit. but
1: you say there's um, not that many DePaul people in the building then?
0: No. no
1: there's no many, what would you call them, J-Demons? Or...
0: <laughs> blue, yeah, you can't I say, mean, can't J- say you can't, Blue Demons. That's you can't you play say. Blue Demons, right. Oh boy, Matt, we need to segue to something more positive because I'm getting down right now. Um, uh-huh. And luckily, we have something super positive to segue to. which is jim flannery and your creighton women's basketball program biggest game i thought it would be when i when we talked off air i said i thought this game coming up friday against number 21 depaul in omaha at socal arena was the biggest home game for the jays um biggest game for the program uh no matter location probably in the last three or four years but Somebody that's a little bit close to the program thinks it's a much bigger game than that. What what have you heard?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think I I'm pretty sure Flan said uh, that this is the biggest home stand that he you know since he's been the head coach. So I don't know if he's just using the recency bias and trying to get that place filled up or not, or if he really believes that. But it's you know regardless of whether that's true or not or close or not, it certainly is just in the sense of this season huge. I mean, when you th- and first of all, let's just go back. Let's zoom out a second. Zoom out. You know, let's zoom out. We're talking about all these injuries that the men's basketball team's dealing with, right? Right. Okay. The women's basketball team lost MC McGrory, who was a preseason All Big selection. Uh, she went down at the end of the Nebraska game, so she missed the final non-conference game against Marist, and the entire and then so far she's missed nine non-conference games. She's done. She retired because of concussion. She's not playing anymore. Uh, Jade Owens um, has a torn, tore uh, ligament in her hip prior to the season, prior to the preseason workouts. And she has not played at all this season and was ruled out. I think she had surgery on her hip when they played Kansas. And then she's been ruled out for the season. And then Allie Green is a reserve forward slash center who – you know, had good games at South Dakota State, um, and I can't. I think she had a good game against Drake. I mean, she's you know she's a, a good contributor off the bench in that in that um, that four or five role. And she had microfracture surgery on her knee, and she's done for the season. So that's an all league player out for the year, the reserve point guard out for the year, and then a backup forward slash center out for the year. And they haven't, and they've won I think ten of. 12 since Thanksgiving so I mean they're just trucking away you know let the injuries be damned next man next woman up and they're not looking back and right now they have positioned themselves atop the biggie standings where everybody thought they would be when they were healthy and they're eight and one at the churn and they're hosting DePaul who is tied for first with them at eight and one as well and dealing with injuries of them their own I mean Jessica January was the preseason player of the year and she's out with a broken finger and I think their backup point guard is dealing with an ankle injury and she might not play on Friday so you know DePaul's injured too but no one in this whole league on the men's side or the women's side has as many reasons to be using excuses injury excuses than the Creighton women's basketball team and so far it hasn't affected them and they're they're in prime position to play for what they wanted to play for at the beginning of the year and that's a big East regular season title they're hosting DePaul on Friday, and then they have Marquette, who's currently sitting in second place, one game behind the Jays and the Blue Demons, and they'll play you know, them on Sunday. So, huge weekend for Creighton women's basketball.
0: Yeah, DePaul, Creighton tied to top. The Big East standings at eight wins and one loss apiece. Marquette at seven and two. Both those teams come to Sokol Arena this weekend. Biggest weekend of women's basketball since Coach Flan has been – uh, ahead of the program so I mean realistically Matt you talked a little bit about um, the streak that the Jays are on here their only conference loss came to DePaul in Chicago um, I know that you, we have an interview coming up here with uh, coach uh, Linda and, and you guys <laughs> talk a little bit about uh, you guys talk a little bit about kind of this idea of an at large I know you've been Researching this a little bit about what what does it look like for the Jays right now, as they do make the turn in conference play. I know Flan scheduled up really hard in the in the non conference like he always does. Got the dub over Nebraska, a couple close losses. They're fourteen and five right now. Um, realistically, what's it looking like for the Blue Jays um, if they weren't to win the Big East tournament uh, at this point?
1: It's looking good right now, and it's funny you. It's funny you mentioned Nebraska because I believe I'm not. Maybe I'm mistaken on this, but I believe that Nebraska currently has the lowest RPI of any of their non-conference
0: games. Isn't that nuts?
1: Not totally sure on where Marist is, but I'm pretty sure Nebraska was in like the 150s last I checked. So, so that's not so. You know, just like on the men's side, they're not doing uh, creating any favors for that win. Um, but. uh God, are you watching Seton Hall, Butler? There's some garbage in the room. Um, Sorry. Uh, Man, Seton Hall plays ugly basketball. Anyway, yeah, they're currently, uh, I think they're 26th in the RPI, the women, great women are. and um, They have, I think, six top 100 wins, three top 50 wins. And, uh, you know, this weekend, you know, on Friday, DePaul is 20th in the RPI, and I think Marquette is 39 right now, as Mm -hmm. it currently stands. So two more chances right there for top 50 wins. And then I believe Georgetown and Villanova, their next two games are both top 50 as well. I know Georgetown is for sure. So there's some chances here for top 50 wins coming up in the next two weekends. And I think right now, you know, the bracketology, there aren't as many bracketology experts on the women's side, but there are a couple. And I think right now Creighton is a 10 seed in one of them and a seven seed in the other. Um, so they're in good position for an at-large, despite all that they've had to deal with. And, Let's-
0: What's the public perception or the pundits' perception of the conference as a whole from a basketball standpoint?
1: That's a good question. I always, I never, I, you know, you don't get many conversations about what the Big East women's side of basketball is.
0: But <laughs> right.
1: um, it's been a two, I mean, it's been a three-bid league sometimes, a two-bid league sometimes. I don't think it's gotten to four yet. I might be mistaken on that. But, mm. you know, I believe since Creighton joined it, DePaul has made it every year. I believe St. John's and Seton Hall have both made it every year. And then I think Villanova has fallen short, just short every year. Um, but I might be mistaken on that. Uh, so it's been a three to, three bid league, two to three bid league comfortably, and you know potentially a four on the outside looking in type of deal. Um, so I'm quite on par with what the Big East is on the men's side, but. You know, still a definitely a top ten, a top eight to ten league. I think mm-hmm. in the RPI. Um, I guess I can look it up and see where they're ranked in the RPI right now. But it's been a strong league. Um, you know, because there are teams that, even the ones that don't make the NCAA tournament, not only do they make the not only do they make the NIT, but they go, they advance in the NIT. You know, sure. I think I think Villanova and Seton Hall. No. Who made it last. I think. Well, Saint John's made the tournament. So Villanova and Seton Hall last year ended up like meeting in the NIT, like in the semifinals or uh, quarterfinals. Sure. So um, it's a uh, it's still a strong league, even with the teams that don't make the tournament. There's still a lot of quality uh, quality tournament teams, postseason teams, and right now Big East is seventh among. Um, seventh in the RPI is a conference on the women's side. So they're behind the Pac 12, the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12, the American Athletic Association, which is obviously headed by UConn. UConn right. Everybody else, right? Then they're the Big 10, and then there's the Big East. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so they're ahead of the A 10, ahead of the Summit League, ahead of the Colonial Athletic, and those type of deals, and way ahead of the Valley. So. <laughs> Nine spots ahead of the valley, so yeah, upgrade if you're. I guess if you're comparing it to what the what what they left, um, right, and de- and, de- and safely in the top ten, so cool. So and yeah, it's it's, a, it's it's and right now, I mean, if you look at it, I think Georgetown RPI wise probably is like a, I don't know, maybe a little fraudulent as far as a resume goes, but from an RPI wise, they have a chance. But uh, Marquette, DePaul, and Creighton right now as we talk are probably safely in the NCAA tournament. So it's 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 a solid three-bid league with Georgetown maybe on the outside looking in currently with a chance if they can get some quality wins in the second half of conference play um, can maybe be that fourth team. So
0: Yeah, and that's a team that the Jays beat in overtime by a bucket um, a couple weeks ago at Sokol. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Blue Jays set to set up this weekend coming up um, against DePaul and Marquette, you know, they just had a three-game road swing, pick up a seven-point win at Providence. They pick up a 12-point win at St. John's, and then they beat Seton Hall in overtime by 10. So going on the road, picking up victories, sets up for, they're set. you know, that you have to take care of that stuff to set up big weekends like the one that's coming up. So, um, you know, kudos to Flan and his his staff for dealing with all the ups and downs the injury stuff. I'm um, not making excuses. Certainly, no, no coach ever really tries to. But um, obviously, everything is right in front of them, like you said, Matt, for accomplishing their goals. And man, it'd be something else to see the Blue Jays back in in the NCAA tournament. It's been a while.
1: Mhm. Yeah, for sure. Um, they've yeah they've got an opportunity, and you know the way they're playing, it's not really one person; it's a lot of people contributing. I mean. I don't think anyone is really saying, oh, yeah, that's the person you need to shut down because, you know, they won uh, at St. John's on Friday when Marissa Janney had three points and then they won at Seton Hall on Sunday when Audrey Faber had two. So,
0: you
1: know, defensive scouting reports are certainly going to hone in on those two, you know, off the bat. But, I mean, the way Lauren works has been playing, you know, hitting clutch shots like that's what she was born to do and... You know, Sidney Lamberty can make plays. Brie Rolerson's a double-double threat. Uh, Jalen Agnew has proven she can score off the bench. Um, yeah, there's just there's a lot of ways they can beat you. And and, and the interview with Cy that we have uh, later tonight talks about that a little bit. I mean, that's just really how they've gotten through this whole thing because, you know, it's really been easy for the next person to step up because they all are kind of the same. They're all really similar in what they do. Um, you know, obviously there are, you know, not, there's not 10 Marissa Jennings out there or 10 Audrey Fabers, but, you know, there are people who can, you know, play if they play within each if they play within themselves and don't try to be heroes and, you know, just play together. They have a lot of pieces that can score on different parts of the floor, inside, outside, you know, and then defensively, they're so experienced that, you know, they can really hone in on a game plan and execute it defensively. And that's how, that's been the secret sauce to getting to eight and one at this point and you know, and then here with DePaul and Marquette at home, and then St. John's, Seton Hall, and Providence at home. They've got you know five good opportunities if they can get good crowds and play well and have an opportunity to be an at-large team, which is what they wanted to put themselves in position to do from the start. They didn't want to have to, they didn't want to have to have a situation that they've had the last couple of years where they've gone into the Big East tournament knowing that they've got to win the whole thing to get in. So. That's been the goal from day one, not only the regular season title, but you know, having a chance to still make the NCAA tournament if that one doesn't pan out or if they don't have to you know, win the conference tournament to do that.
0: Well, it seems like they're on their way, and hopefully uh, a ton of fans can show up this Friday night for the home game against DePaul, number 21, Blue Demons, coming to town, uh, first place in the Big East Conference at stake uh you mentioned Matt the interview that you lined up uh, tonight do you want to go ahead and set the stage for that a little bit for our Jays fans listening to home?
1: yeah so coach Sai is uh coach Sai Vanchon is uh she's been on staff for the last two seasons I believe man I hope I'm getting that right years <laughs> go by and I just forget I'm not good with time um, but she's the recruiting coordinator as well, and. You know she's a former Drake Bulldog, so some like diehard Creighton women's basketball fans will certainly remember her because she broke the Jays' hearts a few times with, you know, some good performances and some late buckets uh, at the Civic Auditorium and things like that. So, um, they might not trust her, but she's on their <laughs> s- she, they, she's on their side now. So uh, if you ask her who, who she'd rather root for in the Creighton Drake matchup, she says Creighton. So. Wow. Huh? Um. So, yeah, she's in – then so you know, we kind of break down this weekend and DePaul and Marquette, we talk big picture as far as, you know, what they've set themselves up with uh, in, you know, the at-large discussions. And and then we get into the 2017 class of signees um, with Temi Sarda, Gracie Griglione, and uh, Tatum Rimbaugh, who's, you know, the Keith Van Horn product that we were all excited about. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kind of break down those three and what they bring to the table next year. Um, and then we kind of talk, we kind of end the segment with a little kind of look into the recruiting philosophy and, you know, what they kind of look for in players as far as in terms of what they want to build their team around going forward and being competitive and playing for conference titles in the Big East. So.
0: Okay, Matt. Well, I think that's uh, a really good segue right right into that interview now. Um, talking Matt DeMoranis interviewing Coach Linda Sayavanchon on the Blue Jays Bites podcast.
1: Pleased to be joined by Creighton Women's Assistant Coach and Recruiting Coordinator, Linda Sayavanchon. Linda, how are you doing today?
2: I'm good. How are you? She's
1: good. done with a long workout with the... With Sydney and, uh,
2: <laughs> why is that her nickname?
1: Uh, it's not her nickname. It's what everybody in the Big East really? broadcaster-wise thinks. That's how you say that last name. Oh, I, I didn't like, give it to her. Lamb
2: Birdie. Yeah, she's she's, every, okay.
1: because every time I hear it, then I tweet it out because it's like a reference to the. Gotcha. Said, yeah. I was
2: wondering why you. Uh, I saw that on Twitter, but um, yeah, for
1: some reason they can't get it right. Lambertie yeah. is Lamb. The further east you go. The more lamb birdie okay. becomes a thing. Gotcha. I don't know what the deal is.
2: Interesting. Yeah. Okay.
1: It's been like that her whole career.
2: Yeah. Um, on these uh, on these Tuesdays um, after a day off, we've decided we we're we're just doing um, short skill workouts with the kids and try not to do too much with the kids that play heavy minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and rather than practicing, that's what we've decided as a coaching staff to do, just a lot of shooting and just some game prep stuff. Um, so th- we did that today, so it's been pretty good.
1: Kind of helps with the wear and tear a little bit, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think so, especially because kids are playing heavy minutes. You know, at this point in the season, there's no – I mean, you have – we have plenty of time to prep for these teams. And now it's a second go around um, in the conference, you know, playing everybody – having already played everybody once. You know, the prep time is just adjustments and stuff. So we have, you know, we have all day tomorrow, all day Thursday, and a little bit of Friday still, um, you know, to go over Paul stuff and some Marquette stuff as well.
1: Now is it our days off for a coach? Uh... <laughs>
2: Wait, what does that mean? Days off?
1: Are <laughs> days off for a coach like less stressful when you're coming off a good stretch like you guys are winning games or? I'm sure the days off when you guys are on a losing streak, you'd probably want to be practicing, right? Getting better?
2: (laughs) Well, yes, we would like to, but... Thank goodness for NCAA rules where okay. we have to give them a day off. You obey um, those, huh? Yep, okay. we obey those. That's good. Uh, we, you know, we have to give them a day off after after like s- every seven days, six or seven days. So um, you know, after these long weekend trips, our Mondays, the Mondays are our days off. Um, but it's much our days off as coaches is a lot nicer when we win. Um, <laughs> so, but nothing changes for us in the office. You know, we're still we're still. Yeah, you know, we don't have practice, but we're still in the office, um, watching film and preparing for the next the next opponent.
1: Now this was a pretty big weekend. Uh, you know, the St. John John-Seton Hall trip is always, I mean, it's not one you guys haven't had success with, but it's one that's been pretty challenging just because Seton Hall and St. John's have been near the top of the league. Um, I guess what did what are your takeaways from this weekend, and you know what ultimately you think were the determining factors in getting two wins out of that.
2: Yeah, it's, you know, this is only my second time on this road trip and we were ecstatic last year when we got a split <laughs> right. and then, you know, this year to come, to come away from that road trip to, to sweep is, is tough and, and it's, it's really awesome for our team. Um, St. John's always guards well, um, you know, and we always struggle against him, um, to score, but, uh, uh, Seton Hall guarded us really well. Um, and, you know, we found a way to win. We, we felt like we should have lost that game, but yeah. we freaking found a way to win, and they didn't give our kids didn't give up, and I knew that when when we forced overtime that we were gonna win, and I think our kids believed that too. I mean, it was such a moment momentum shifter, but um, to sweep this road trip was huge, um, and it's hard. And it was difficult. I mean, this is not a, that's not an easy road trip like you said. No.
1: Now, you guys have found a way to win a couple games, a few games here in conference play that you probably don't think maybe. If you look at it, maybe you weren't the better team on the day, but you found a way in the end to get it done. What's the, you know, what's the magic sauce behind that? Like, what what about this group is it that you know when it comes down to the crunch time in the fourth quarter, they're just able to pull it out?
2: Um, you know, Flan talked about in the locker room after Scene Hall. He talked about them believing in themselves, but also believing in each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's one thing for the coaches to believe. in Is that in a them.
1: bigger deal than people? I mean, it sounds cliche, but when you're out there and you're on the floor Mm -hmm. that's belief is a pretty big part of it. Yeah. Yep.
2: Yep. And you know, and the nice thing about our team is we have so many kids that can, that can score. Yeah. So it's, it's, we, we trust the ball in anybody's hands to score. And I think every, I think the girls believe in each other in that aspect, but, um, I think defend us defending well helps. It helps too, Mm. um, to go on the road and be able to defend well. And, uh, you know, we're just confidence. We just have a lot of confidence in our offense right now. Um, and I think Flan does a good job of um, this, the plays that he's ran, uh, you know, at the end of end of um, game situations mm-hmm. have been really good um, plays for us to get an ba- easy basket. Well, I mean, Lawrence threes that were designed against Georgetown. High percentage weren't. <laughs> for crazy. High sure percentage. <laughs> but, um, I mean, he did, he's, he's done a great job of, you know, the time and situation. Mm-hmm. And our girls have been locked in with that too. Um, and then just trusting the play that uh, that he draws up for them.
1: Lauren, Lauren Works is in an interesting situation. I mean, obviously you guys have Jalen who is eligible this year, mm-hmm. um, and you think you have MC and Jade,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you know you really only lose Tessa from last year's team. So it's kind of a logjam mm-hmm. in that guard core slash you know that wing position. Yeah. Maybe thinking, you know, every day it's almost a battle to see who would play that weekend. What has Lauren done this season since, you know, with MC going down and, mm-hmm. and Jade going down and to kind of step into a role that you guys trust now where, you know, against Georgetown, Flans running not play plays for Lauren to get a shot at the yeah. end of the game.
2: Um, Lauren, <laughs> Lauren is going to do whatever she has to do to help the team win, yeah. um, whether it's in the starting role, whether it's. The eighth man off the bench, or the sixth man off the bench. She um, she's a total team player, and she's gonna do whatever she can to help the team win. Obviously, playing 45 minutes, and she's all over the floor, making game winner shot. You know, game winning shots, and and um, she's just a tough kid. And I feel like I feel like people forget about her a little bit mm-hmm. because I mean, when you look at the stat, okay, she's shooting well for the three, but when you look at the stat she as far as you know, points scored and maybe uh, uh, attempts as well, field goal attempts. I mean, she's not getting as many shots as maybe the other kids are, like Sid and mm-hmm. Marissa and um, Audrey. So I think she's that, you know, she's that kid that people maybe forget about or maybe doesn't get – maybe she's getting the third or fourth best defender because you got Sydney, Bris, Audrey, where people are going to put their better defenders on those kids. Mm-hmm. You know, and then there's Lauren. So I think that's where, you know, when, when Flann drew up those plays, he trusted – and Lauren, I mean, not that he didn't trust anybody else, but Lauren's going to get that that matchup where we can kind of um, take advantage of. Mm-hmm.
1: Jalen Agnew, uh, you know, coming into the season, obviously she's a top 100 recruit, but the decision was made to redshirt her last year mm-hmm. just because of how much experience you guys had back. It was again the case this year because of what happened with Marissa and kind sure. of getting her back in the fold. So she almost sat a year that maybe she'd have a better chance. Uh, at playing time from the beginning, but this year she's still been able to carve out a role. Yeah. What just uh I guess what's her development been like, you know, game to game, week to week, mm-hmm. practice to practice. I mean, does she look more more comfortable? I mean, do you guys trust her more in situations where the game's on the line than maybe you did than maybe you thought you did going into the season?
2: Yeah, I mean with the <laughs> with the slim bench, you know, obviously I mean Jalen is playing she's 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 playing a lot more but the the red shirt, um, the red shirt of Jalen really really helped with her development, you know, and Chevy worked with her a lot but she needed it. She needed that red shirt season to get stronger and just to grow, you know, um, as a basketball player, um, and just to get through practice and stuff. But um, the biggest thing with Jalen was we wanted we wanted to use her more on the defensive end and her versatility defensively. So that was one of the things is we don't really needed her. We didn't really need her to come in and be a scorer for us. I mean, we have scorers on, um, you know, obviously she's going to come in and get a few baskets here and there, but I mean, she's, she surprises quite a bit um, on the offensive end, you know, cause she's so athletic and she gives us something different offensively um, that we don't have. But the biggest thing with her was we wanted her defensive versatility and she's been able to guard different, you know, different players, um, which is nice. And she's actually, um, from the beginning of the season to now, she's improved in that area where we can put her on different kids.
1: With her, is it, I mean, she has obviously raw ability. She's very athletic. But, I mean, defense is difficult. I mean, there's a lot of communication involved. Mm -hmm. I mean, the movement involved, and it's not, like, typical. You can't just use raw athleticism and get it done. I mean, how has she been able to, you know, you guys stick her in that role, but, I mean, find a way to be effective without – You know, she's a shot blocker, but she doesn't get a lot of fouls. Like, how has she been able to, you know, use her raw ability but still, like, learn what you guys want to do within a defensive scheme?
2: Yeah. So I think Sydney is a a, a good role model. On the defensive end for uh, for Jalen, because they kind of are similar, you know, as far as length. Being able to use their length on people, and Cindy's really smart, and it's a lot of film watching um, and teaching. So, you know, I watch film with uh, the guards a lot um, on defense, and just talking about the different ways we're going to guard and technique and scheming. And um, she's really grown in that area of just being a, um, a student of the game, and just really learning and, and improving each day um, just by watching film. And just constantly, literally that's what it is, is—constant watching film and teaching with Jalen, especially with the, you know, because she's young, she's a redshirt freshman, but um, I think it helps, you know, to watch Sydney um, do those things. And like I said, it's a lot of teaching and film.
1: How have you juggled the, uh, I guess, Audrey season? I mean, in the preseason it looked like she was, you know, she was just lighting the nets on fire. Um, But obviously she's trying Big East's scouting report. She's getting better defenders now this Mm -hmm. year than she was maybe a year ago, or at least Mm -hmm. for the first half of the year. I mean, you know, the illness set her back earlier. So, I guess, how do you help her through the mental part of it when, you know, when maybe she goes into a night and, you know, she's maybe in the second quarter or in the third quarter and she's got two or five points and, you know, the offense isn't there and she's kind of being – you know, focused on defensively. I mean, that's that's got a weigh on her a little bit as sure. someone who's, yeah, you know, still kind of young. Yep,
2: yeah, it does. You know, I think, it, um, yeah. I mean, there's no secrets in the league. I mean, everybody knows everybody's strengths and weaknesses. Right. And uh, she's getting everyone's best defender. Um, I think that. I think. Part of it is, you know, she's got to find other – if if, she, if they're going to guard her tight on the three, then she's got to find other ways to uh, contribute. So, you know, she's, she's doing a better job of cutting, um, posting a little bit more, cutting through the lane and getting those short post-ups, mid-post-ups. Um, I think one thing, um, you know, we've talked to her about being better at is going to the offensive glass. Uh, I think that's an area where she can get, you know, a couple more, you know, O-board putbacks or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, just uh, finding other ways to contribute um, offensively.
1: This weekend is a pretty big weekend for this team, Not maybe not this, just this team, but this program in general. I'm trying to think back to a bigger weekend as far as the ramifications involved. Yeah. I mean, you guys are playing essentially two first-place games back-to-back. Yeah. I mean, with the way things may shake out. Sure. So, you know, you get DePaul, who's been reigning over the league for, you know, I guess since yeah. you guys joined it and beyond. And obviously there in Chicago – you know, points off turnovers and second chance points were a huge factor in that game. I guess what are you looking forward to in this matchup as far as things you need to do better in order to get a W this time?
2: Yeah. Yeah, this game is, you know, our girls know how big this game is, and I think they're excited for the opportunity. Um, You know, and they know we didn't play well. Our starters didn't play very well Mm -hmm. um, there. And we, you know, you talked about points off turnovers and second chance points was it combined, what, 40, 40, 40 points or it something was, like that. It,
1: yeah, I think you lost by 20 in both areas. So yep, yeah. and
2: we lost by 14 points. Right. And our starters didn't play well. We give up, you know, those numbers on in uh, those categories. It's – and uh, we only lose by 14. So you kind of feel like you, you take care of the ball a little bit mm-hmm. and you rebound better. Um, I think the rebounding is a, is a key to the game Friday. I mean, they just kick people's butts mm-hmm. on on the glass. Um, they're, they're out rebounding teams by 11-plus. Um, And that's huge. Um, They just play hard. And we have to play harder and tougher than DePaul and rebound um, the crap out of the ball. So uh, it it should be exciting. Um, And then, yeah, it's crazy because both teams, you know, want to get they play up and down, you know, up tempo. But, you know, without Prochaska possibly not playing on Friday, that may change some things um, as far as their obviously their rotation. But, I mean, how they play as well. So.
1: How how tough is the DePaul Marquette back to back? I mean. That's that's I mean I've seen I see the practices you know the prepare the preparation leading up to the week I mean those seem like hell just to get yourself prepared for that mm-hmm. type of pace but to have to do it in you know yep. 80 minutes over two over three days
2: yeah it's. Um... Yeah, it is tough. Yeah. <laughs> Every weekend in this. Are you glad you're
1: retired when you see those? Come <laughs>
2: <in>? <laughs> Every weekend in this league is tough, but those two especially, just because of the way, the way they play, right, yeah. um, and both teams have very talented offensive players, um, Marquette and DePaul, and it is tough. You know, you can't, you can't. We can we try to simplify it as much as possible mm-hmm. when we when we do scouts, uh, especially the second go around, um, but. Yeah, it's a tough weekend um, because both teams are so, so talented offensively, you know. Um, so trying to scheme uh, defensively is, is pretty tough, but we're excited. Um, you know, second time around, you, it's nice because you can make those adjustments and, mm-hmm. you know, and we're playing at home this weekend, so we're excited.
1: So how do you adjust from a Marquette game where you pretty much made a statement to the rest of the league that, yeah, we lost yeah. MC, we lost Jade, mm-hmm. we lost Allie, but... We're still capable of going anywhere and whipping you if you're not ready. I mean Sydney had, you know, a double double, she had twelve assists. Mm -hmm. I mean, but she also held Malaysia Blockton in check for the entire game. I mean
2: Yeah, Cindy was sick. Cindy wasn't feeling well that game either. Really? Yeah. That
1: was her flu Another flu game from
2: Sydney Lambert. Yeah, no, I think it was like food poisoning oh, okay. or something. Like she got sick after she ate, and so she wasn't feeling well, and she got a double double. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I was like, Cindy, can you play sick a little bit more often? But you know, I think Sydney, I think Cindy, and we talked about this as a staff. Um, she's starting to make uh, some of those other plays, uh, tougher plays that we need her to make. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like going to the glass, making those effort plays. She's she's doing more of those things um, outside of just shooting the ball. Um, you know, she has to do so much for us. Guarding the other teams, one of the other team's best defenders. Mm-hmm. Playing point guard, doing, you know, doing. She's she's one of our better passers. I mean, she does a lot for this team, and and she's done a really good job um, so far. But but yeah, I uh, yeah, she's. Uh, we just have to show up and play. I mean, you know, yeah. we beat them by 20 points, but you know, on any given night, on any given day in this in this league, as you know, there's so much there's so much parity. I mean, I mean, look at our game against St. Hall. Mm-hmm. Every, we're gonna get everyone's best game, um, you know. So we just, I, you know, it's nice winning right now, but we still have to. We can't be complacent, and we mm-hmm. talked about that today in our staff meeting. Is we're still nitpicking every little thing that we can be better at. Um, because we just can't get complacent, you know? mm-hmm. um, so we still have to continue to improve.
1: On that, I guess when you when you kind of put the season under a microscope so far, I mean, there have been a lot of ups and downs. But here you sit at you know 14 and five, eight and one in the league. Your RPI is at 26 now. Yeah. You know your top 50 wins are there. Um, you get a crack at the top two, you know, two more quality wins this weekend at home.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Are, are you talking to the team about? At large potential and what this weekend means and things like that, or because I know coming into the season, the NCAA tournament was a huge goal. I mean, mm-hmm. they don't want to fall short of that again, especially sure. with how much how many veterans you have. Yeah, are, are is those are those conversations starting to happen, or do you just um, let that sit? Se- you
2: take know care what itself? we we haven't as a staff, not that I know of anyway. I don't think we've talked to the team about any of this. Um, I think the girls have had conversations with each other mm-hmm. um, and as a team, like without the coaches, because I think they know. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, that's ultimately their goal, our goal. Um, but we as coaches have not really talked about the big picture. And, and so what we've done a good job this year so far is taking it game by game and not looking ahead mm-hmm. um, to the next opponent. <laughs> so we we focus on DePaul um, and we're going to beat DePaul. Okay, and then we don't focus on you know, and we we don't look ahead. So we've done a good job of of just taking each game um, game by game, one game at a time. Um, but no, uh, we haven't, and maybe we should. <laughs> you know, I think they know. Yeah. Um, you know, social media and stuff. They read that stuff. Sorry. What? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's good. I think it's good conversation to have. But mm. I know that I know that they have had conversations amongst each other, but not that, not so much from us. You know, because I don't know how much emphasis we want to put on it or put yeah, what that does put to motivation us yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah does it does yeah. it motivate us or does it make us yeah tense tense yeah or put a lot of pressure on us because i feel like right now our kids are playing confidently and playing really well together um don't, not don't, really ro- thinking don't, about don't
1: rock the boat. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah, yeah. A little
2: bit. Yeah, a little bit. Um, so I don't know. I might ask our staff, what, we, what should we do? I mean, we haven't talked about it so far, mm. so maybe we just let it be. <laughs> hey. It's working, right? It
1: is. So far, so uh, good. So, right? so far, so good. Don't argue with the results. I guess uh, I want to get your just opinion on the 2017 signee so far. Mm-hmm. Um, if I get these names wrong, correct me, <laughs> but you've got Temi Carta. Am I saying that Sarda. right? Sarda. Sarda? Sarda, okay. yeah.
2: Yeah, she she gets that a lot. You're not the first person. Okay. We thought uh, it was Carter too. Timmy uh, Sarda,
1: Gracie Griglione? Yep. And then Tatum Rimbao? Yep. Okay. So just uh, if you want to just uh, kind of break them down, each three of okay. three of them, what they kind of bring. I know you got a couple of guards, and then Gracie's a post, right?
2: Yep, she's a post.
1: So yeah, what do you? I mean, what do you like about this class? What do you think it brings to you? Do you think? I mean, as far as maybe the impact they might mm-hmm. be able to have next year with you know the veterans you guys are going to lose. Okay.
2: Um, As a a whole, those three kids as a whole, um, I like, and we've talked about this too, and we've all said this, is we like how competitive all three of them are. Um, uh, Temi. Is a five. She's. I think she's listed as five nine in our uh, in the write up online, <laughs> which is fine. But she's more five seven. Okay. Um. She's a multi sport athlete. She's. A, she was a really good soccer player. She could have probably played Division one soccer. If she so wanted to. So she's got
1: that Marissa Jane endurance then. Yeah, yes. Yes. Okay.
2: She's. She has really good feet. She has great feel. Um. She's. She's probably going to be one of best. One of our best defenders um, mm. as far as lateral movement. Um. And she's a competitor. She's smart. You know, she's a smart player, good IQ. She can shoot it. Um, So she's more of a – she can handle the ball. So she could play – I mean, we don't have any positions. But she could bring the ball up the floor, but she can also shoot it. Uh, And then Tatum. uh, Tatum we got on late she plays for, she actually played uh, play I, for Keith Van Horn. I
1: also think, remember Fridgie was telling me that yeah. this was potentially someone we were talking about, yeah. and then like within two days, she had committed.
2: Yes, so yeah, she was so. the kid we got on late, uh, we brought her on campus, we did some research first, mm-hmm. and then we watched her play in the summer, late in the summer, and we liked her, so we brought her on an official visit, so everything, we had to speed up the process, because it was late in, the, it was like in September, I think, sure. she came with her uh, dad, and we liked her. Like she was a great kid, you know, her type of kid, culture mm-hmm. kid, and she's a competitor. Again, she's a she played softball, ran track. She was a really good softball player too. I mean, her batting—if you go look at her uh, softball stats—is it's off the charts. She could have played Division One softball as well. Really. I shouldn't have said that <laughs> for uh, yeah. for coach here. Um, he might try to get her to play softball. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, you guys don't overlap very much. Yeah, exactly. League, right? So she,
2: maybe that's something. she could huh. in fifth year. But Tana's a competitor. Um, she can handle the ball. She, the one thing that we uh, that stood out about her was her ability to finish in traffic um, and at the rim. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was really good. So she played point for a her, her, well. She played she plays point for AAU and high school. Um, but she's like five nine. Um, she's got to work on her, her perimeter shot, okay. but that'll come, you know, but her ability to be finish through traffic is not something you can see a lot uh, in girls' basketball, so uh, great kid. And then Gracie is uh, – she committed early, mm-hmm. like sophomore year, I think. And Gracie's a lefty, skilled post who can play on the perimeter. She can make a three. Um, she can stretch it out there, but she's not afraid to go inside and, and post up a little bit. Um, but, yeah, she's kind of an inside-outside player, uh, but her, but it's nice because of the way we play that she, can, she yeah. can make a three. But, again, all three have – like I said, all three are competitive. We love how competitive they are. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all gym rats. You know, they want to be better and then uh, great kids, but uh, they all have high basketball IQ. Um,
1: and, and you guys were looking for some of that as far as when you – I mean, I think you said – or the coaching staff just in conversations over the years that, you know, seeing St. John's kind of end your season, you know, how many years in a row they've done it. Mm-hmm. You think we need some, you know, a little bit of nastiness, I think, was the way it was termed. Did you do, as far as – are you looking for kids with an edge? Is that what you were looking for when you kind of shape these classes together as far um, as maybe being able to, you know, handle a situation like that late in the season? Yeah. Given that it's been St. John's team who has – seems to have that edge. Sure. Really play sure. the same style as you?
2: A little bit. A little bit. I'm um, making more of
1: that than earlier. Really, what's that? Did I set up more of that than I really yeah.
2: do. Right <laughs> yeah, a little bit, you know. I, I,
1: you got an ed- to You play with an edge. I mean, Carly played with an edge. Like, all of you Chevy. seem like, yeah, I mean, you guys, <laughs> you guys are kind of nasty. Sure, You know.
2: sure. Um, yeah, we want uh, kids who, you know, the, the biggest thing is we want kids who want to get better. Okay. Um, because, because that tells you a lot about their drive. Mm-hmm. And, and when they want to get in the gym, if they're gym rats, that means they want to get better. They want to be in the gym. They want to get better. They want to be the best player they want to be. So um, I feel like we, we try to look for those kids. I mean, obviously. We want skill, skill, sure, sure. talented kids that fit our system. But we, we're also looking at that side of it, too. Mm-hmm. Is do they love basketball? Okay. You know they do they love basketball. Are they going to get in the gym? Do they want to be better? Um, and the other thing is, uh, uh, what was the other thing I was going to say? I don't remember.
1: Don't remember. That's okay.
2: <laughs> uh, no, this was the other thing I was going to talk about. Is you know while we're talking about recruiting, is we want to get a little bit bigger. Um, we got some small guards. Right. And the next couple. I mean, Temi is five seven. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tatum is five. Eight, five, nine, but she's, you know, she's slight. Yeah, she's slight. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Jade, Liv, and Brooke. So we're a little small. Yeah. So in our 18s class, which I can't, you know, obviously talk about names, but in our 18s right. class, we're looking to get a little bit bigger, a little bit longer. Um, and that's what we've been focusing on, you Good. know, like five, nine, 10, 11, and above.
1: People that can kind of handle a wear and tear type of deal if mm-hmm. they so have to, yep. but clean also, out. yeah, but also, yeah.
2: Yeah. So
1: good uh, this is a good chat yeah it was happy to have you on yeah thank you Your podcast debut <laughs> uh i know it's a big weekend for you guys so yeah. uh you know good luck in practice Hope thank you keep the bodies together and, yes good luck yep. on friday starting fall all right thank you
0: that was a great interview really appreciate the time i think that's just um i really get interested too in the recruiting angle um for flan's team they've just like you mentioned earlier in the in the broadcast you know, injuries happen obviously the last couple of years, you know, with them losing Marissa Janning last year and her coming back. I mean, it always just seems like Flan and his staff have a multitude of options to go to on the offensive end. And and I think a lot of that probably starts rightfully so with just their recruiting philosophy and the ability to bring in players that can do a lot of different things on both ends of the floor, right, when they're on the court.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the versatility and – First of all, I mean being able to shoot the ball—that's no secret. But I mean, with the motion offense they run, you know, you got to be in good shape, good endurance, good athleticism, paid attention to detail, and you know, if you've ever been to a flan practice, communication is a—he'll a harp on that with the younger players. So that's their—that's always their big speed bump—is uh, trying to find their voice on the floor. So, but he seems to do a good job of you know plugging and playing year after year because you know. I mean, Sidney Lambert, he made an impact as a freshman. Marissa Janney certainly did. Mm-hmm. You know, go back to Carly Tritz, she did. I mean, Audrey Faber last year, Jalen Agnew this year. I mean, there's no shortage of impact freshmen on this, from this basketball program. I and mean, that's a credit to Flan, the staff he puts together, and, you know, the recruiting philosophy that they have.
0: Cool. I want to make sure that we plug our, our great, Sponsor here before we wrap things up tonight. Um, I know we talked everybody's ears off about what is seemingly like the dumpster fire (laughs) surrounding the men's basketball program. Uh, It's not that bad guys. Well, I mean, I got followed tonight on Twitter by a handle called Jay's dumpster fire. Like no joke. I didn't know that was a thing until tonight and it happened before the game. So someone obviously was hoping for some sort of, poor performance to kind of okay. seize on that but um
1: my big my big guy is this dude named reginald who's a shirtless he has a shirtless avatar of himself i uh,
0: saw reginald you you and him were getting yeah. into it a little bit huh
1: and he loves I, he only started to come around when the losses started to happen it was funny enough how that happens so i didn't see him when they were 13 to know at all but, i'm gonna
0: start a twitter account called reginald dumpster fire and we'll just Red- go <laughs> Have a bunch of articles about people named Reggie or Reginald who have had terrible things happen. Exactly. And then, will you follow me if I follow you?
1: Absolutely. Okay. I'll I'll, I'll pin the link to your Twitter account. Wow. On yes.
0: Bio. I like it. Cool. Uh, but it, seriously, folks, Lawler Custom Sportswear, um, outfitting Jays fans for decades. Um, you know, big big weekend coming up. The Pink Out Saturday. I know Lawler's is fully stocked with all the pink gear you would need if you're showing up to the CenturyLink Center Saturday afternoon, or if you're just going to rock some of that pink gear from home. Um, you know, obviously, a, a, a great event that they host every single year that Max's been here. Um, and uh, so go out, show your support, stop by, pick up a t shirt from Lawler's so that you don't be that idiot that shows up not wearing pink to the pink out. <laughs> Um, there's just no room for you at the at the game. So, wow, yeah, sick. I'm, coming, wall, I'm huh? coming hard. I mean, I know they give out a bunch of shirts, but they're all, like, extra larges, man. Like, not everybody's going to fit that, rock that. So, long story short, Lawlers, make sure you pick up your pink shirt. Wear some blue stuff while you're there, too. You know, just hook them up with some cash so they can keep giving some of us some of that money to us so we can keep podcasting. Wow. And everybody's it's, you know, circle of life type scenario. So
1: I think that's the most shameless, shameless plug I've ever heard
0: in my life. Hey, man. Gotta pay the bills.
1: We gotta uh, pay the
0: bills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, next time, um. well, Matt, personally, I'm really excited you and I are going to get to spend some quality time together this Sunday. We are. The Creighton Blue Jay Baseball Steak Fry, the big kind of Opening soirée for the season. I know um, Ed's services program will start playing games here in a couple of weeks, but this is always a really good time to get out and um, talk a little baseball. The weather probably won't feel like baseball weather, but sure enough, the Blue Jays will be out on the road a couple of weeks after getting ready to getting ready to start their season. Um, so I look forward to catching up with you then and knowing that the next time we podcast, we'll be able to switch gears a little bit, start to work baseball into the mix and, um, and really cover what hopefully might, will be a successful season for service. And those guys, they try to make it back to an NCAA tournament. So, um, next episode, we'll have some baseball on there. Hopefully we'll be talking about a writing of the ship for the men's basketball team and hopefully we'll be talking about another successful weekend for Flan's women's basketball program as they look to uh, pick up a couple Ws against DePaul and Marquette. Matt, you got anything else tonight before we sign off, man?
1: No, I'm good. All right. I think, well, we, did, now, I think we had a good therapy session tonight.
0: Yeah, I think it was good. Um, I'll probably go outside now and shovel uh, some <laughs> snow with my shirt off or something to just you know, take <laughs> it out physically on me. But, sure. Uh, you know, but yeah, really no, the talking to, was good.
1: Yeah, however really you got to do to get right for Monday. <laughs> <tomorrow. laughs> got to
0: get right, man. Got to get right. So for Matt DeMoranis, I am Brian Tot. We appreciate you tuning into the Blue Jays Bites podcast. As always, you can find us on whiteandbluereview.com, all of our social network channels as well. Um, again, really appreciate you tuning in. Have a great night, and go Jays.